I'll read 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would awaken our minds by the truth of it, by the power of it, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts. We give you thanks for this opportunity to uh, speak together, to learn together from your word, and we ask you to bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll recap pretty quickly. Chapter 1, we went through. Hannah was miserable. She was without child, and she was being tormented, taunted by her rival, uh, Penina. And yet she was comforted when uh, the high priest, uh, Eli, prayed for her. And she returned home, and God fulfilled his request. She had a son. She fulfilled her promise. She gave that son back to the Lord in service throughout the remainder of his life. And then we came into chapter 2. And so in verse 1, we see that Hannah rejoices in knowing God. And she knows God, and this is, above all else, the most important thing in the world, to know and be known by God. And so then, last time, we showed how God is holy. God is entirely unique, and that he is uh, set apart. There is a rock that we can turn to uh, that will never fail us, never break, that we cannot control Uh, that instead we seek to have him control us. And then we come to verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. So this is Hannah's prayer. Talk no more so very proudly. So we have to realize that who is in her mind, uppermost in her mind, is most likely Penina. It is she that tormented her for a long time. And yet... It's also, I think, much broader. Uh, She is now expanding her concern for all of God's creation, not just her own situation, but the situation that all of us find ourselves in. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. What Penina was said to do to Hannah was to provoke her. And you can imagine it's like taunting. We tend to think of provocation and taunting as coming from children. And it does. Children can be very cruel, as is said. And yet, not only children can be cruel. Adults can be cruel as well. We can taunt and provoke others. And so, this is what she's addressing, is this arrogance that comes from people especially adults who should know better. Examine yourself. Do you taunt or provoke, or do you tolerate taunting and provoking within your home? I don't think we look at ourselves critically enough, nearly critically enough. We are quick to view others, and we can see, have insight into others, and think we know what they ought to do or not do. 
And yet too often we overlook what's occurring right under our very noses in our homes. And that ought not be so. We ought not allow our children to taunt and provoke one another. We live next to a family who has three boys ranging in age from maybe four to seven. And I hear that older boy taunting that younger boy. And I hear that younger boy losing his temper and yelling at his brother. And then I hear the dad getting engaged, yelling at them both. He's not taking the opportunity to instruct them, either one of them, in how to deal with what's happening in their lives. He's not rebuking the older son for taunting the younger. He is not consoling the younger one, attempting to protect him from this, but also teaching him how to respond to such things. They will face such things in life, not only in their home. And this provocation, this taunting, this arrogance, it's just what we see all the time. But are we sensitive to it in ourselves and in our own home? Under those with whom we have some influence, I'm not going to go over into my neighbor's yard and try to start correcting him or his boys. It's not my place. We must hear ourselves, and yet at times it's uncomfortable. Yesterday we went through Sonic drive-through. We'd been working for hours. We were all hot and sweaty outside. We went to Sonic for their happy hour drinks. You can get them for half price, two to four. I'm not, I have no stock in Sonic. It's just the good news for you. <laughs> so we're in the drive-through and this fellow asks our order and I gave him an order for three drinks and I also said we wanted three corn dogs. So he read it back and there was only one corn dog on the display and I said, no, we wanted three corn dogs. And you hear him say, oh man, oh man. And you could tell he's distressed. He had punched the wrong button on the cash register. I've never worked a register. I have empathy for those of you who have. Yet he'd punched the wrong button and he must be new because he kept repeating this to himself. And we were looking at one another, barely able to contain our laughter because it, it sounded like this guy's world was falling apart. And uh, so eventually he corrected it with some help. And so we drove through. But if he were to have been in our car through time travel that we know is available now, the movies all show about it, he could then hear himself coming through that intercom and, and he would then be able to reflect on his own voice coming through and thinking, it, it's revealing something, isn't it? I mean, it's revealing his discomfort with the situation he found himself in. Do we want to telegraph that level of discomfort when we're the employee and we're dealing with a customer? Would our company want us to? No. There was a, our words, we don't like to listen to our words. I don't know if many of you have listened to yourself on audio, but I remember as a child for the first time hearing that, and you cringe. You just think, that can't possibly be me. My voice is not like that. And yet when I began speaking long ago, I listened to myself, and I didn't like it. It was very difficult. But I had lots of bad habits that I needed to correct, and I could only do that by listening to myself and correcting them. So we don't tend to like to listen to ourselves for a variety of reasons. And yet, if you were to have a video that could capture you in your home for a week, that you could see yourself, how you interact with people, and especially you fathers, you parents, how you allow your children to interact with one another, would you then learn from that, make some changes perhaps in what's going on, in how people treat one another in your home. I think you might.
That is a cliched response in movies. Whenever two people are arguing, you'll have one person say, when they're like being offended by something that someone, the other is saying, they'll say, do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you're saying? How you're talking to me? And that's a good question. Because no, for the most part, no, we don't hear ourselves. We're not listening to ourselves. And so in our arrogance, in our self-centeredness, this comes out. And then when they rebuke us in that way, we don't want to hear it. And so we don't really think at that moment because that's not what you tend to do when you're in the midst of a battle like that. So then the last part of this verse, for the Lord God is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. So we're dealing both with knowledge, facts, and we're dealing with actions. God knows everything. We can't fool him. Yet we devote a lot of energy, a lot of energy, to fooling ourselves and fooling others. I know we don't realize that we do this, but we do. We spend a lot of our effort attempting to fool others. It's probably not healthy, it's probably not right, and yet we do. I just read this week in 2 Samuel, several chapters, and it chronicles David's sin. Essentially, his meltdown, if you think of it from that perspective. Uh, the sin with Bathsheba killing Uriah. And then a lot of time passes fairly quickly. And then you cover Amnon's rape of Tamar, David's refusal to deal with that correctly, and then Absalom dealing with it incorrectly. But you just see so many errors so many errors in judgment, in actions, in just a few chapters. And this is King David. <laughs> I mean, do we have any hope of improving in our lives, the way we live them? If we look to the man who was after God's, God's own heart, the man who had this Davidic covenant and, and basically stamped uh, Israeli culture for a thousand years, how can we have hope that we'll do any better? And so our hope, obviously, is in God. By God, actions are weighed. Not only does he know everything that's happened, but he knows what we've done. He knows what we wanted to do. We think we are succeeding if we can just give people a reasonable excuse for why we did something or why we didn't get something done. We think we've succeeded, and yet God knows us. He knows what was possible. He knows we could have succeeded at getting something done that we're now lying about. He knows what we did that we're attempting to deny. The Lord is the God of knowledge. He knows everything. By him, actions are weighed on a scale, determined to be right or wrong, the degree to which they're right or wrong. God judges us by all these things, what we know, what we should have done, what we did. So what I ask you to do as you come to the table is recognize that you will attempt to deceive yourself or others in the week ahead. I encourage you to look for those opportunities to detect that. Because if you're not detecting it, you're not going to even know it. You're not going to try to change it. Nothing's going to change. We can't just hear things. We have to take action. Are we being truthful? Are we being humble? Or are we being arrogant because of our pride? 
So as we come to the table, let's realize that Jesus has absolved us of the guilt for all these sins. They do not separate us from God, but yet we are called to act consistently like good children in God's home. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word that instructs us, that awakens us to not only ourselves, but this world. You teach us how we are to live, how we are to act, what we are to want to do, and what we are to do. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus did all of these things perfectly, without failure, without sin. He did them for us. We thank you for that. And yet we do pray, Lord, have us to not condone our own sins. Have us to not look harshly upon others in their sins. But Lord, have us to truly judge ourselves and see where we must change. We give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen.